Storymakers. I'm Angie Powers. I'm Elizabeth Stark. And, and this, this is Storymakers, Storymakers Show. And today on Storymakers, we're going to talk about metaphors. But first, Angie Powers, what are you working on? Currently, I am working on, you know, organizing my life, but also looking for a space in which to improve our ability to just sit right down and do a podcast and to also have a space where um, we can do it in a visually pleasing way as well. Very exciting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're kind of like utilizing every corner of our house in various ways to turn it into a whole world. Oh, I thought you were going to say turn it into a home. (laughs) Which is the whole world, (laughs) which might lead us to metaphor. But first, what am I working on? So I think I finished this draft. Excellent. Um, As we've talked about, and I did a lot of writing about deadlines last week, and then I realized I needed to set a deadline. I actually put that in my newsletter. I need to set a deadline. So I did. And it was for tomorrow Mm -hmm. and to send this off. And so um, that has me up against what is uncomfortable about deadlines, which is that uh, you know, I always say it's better to work to a deadline than to work to perfection. Mm-hmm. But it is uncomfortable because you then have this imperfect thing going off. And it is important that this thing be very strong. But to that end, for example, I, you know, I printed it out this round, right? With mm. notes, printed it out, hand edited it very stringently. And as I was typing in the changes, I made about 20 notes of things to kind of circle back to and consider and think about. And I've now done that as well. So a lot of this is about making myself feel like I've done enough. I think that's the whole thing right now, isn't it? <laughs> so many levels. <laughs> Have I done enough today to, you know, merit a good night's sleep? Mm, yeah. Very little seems to merit a good night's mm-hmm. sleep. <laughs> no. Yeah. So, um, but anyway, I feel very grateful and excited. And again, I'm going to plunge back into a different thing because that is something I've also learned mm-hmm. pretty darn recently. And so I'm excited about that. You know, I'm actually looking forward to that. Excellent. All right. So that was that. So let's talk about metaphor. Metaphor. So can you help orient yeah. our listeners so we have a really clear sense of... Yeah. Well, let me read from the email. Perfect. All right. I'm interested in learning about metaphors. Can you recommend anything I could read? Not so much good writing examples by good authors, but an analysis ripe with examples and food for thought. I don't think metaphorically, but I barely do understand the meaning and power and importance of metaphor. So that's, that's the question. I don't think there's a human alive who doesn't think metaphorically. So I think that's... So you reject that. I do. I think people... I think it's a little bit like... like I think people might... Maybe it's a metaphor. To say I don't think metaphorically might itself be a metaphor (laughs) for being very... Well, you might... It might be a metaphor for for I don't feel particularly... I don't actually even know. (laughs) Because here's the thing. Maybe it's not The way that we learn at all is to associate the thing we're learning with something we already know. So if you think about math, right, when we're first learning to count. For example. Par exemple. If we're, if we're thinking about something we already know and we're trying to learn numbers, then we can use our fingers. Our finger becomes uh, 
a metaphor for a quantity, right? Manipulate. One, two, three. And I can look at my fingers and I can have that. All the way up to 10. Um, all the way up to 10, 20 for some company. You know, so, so some cultures yeah. actually have a base 20 and there is some conjecture that the base 20 is because we have those mm-hmm. number of digits. And then how about two or zero and one? So binary is a different thing. So that isn't really just zero and one if you think about it as either being on or off. So those are discrete states, a slightly different thing. But um, the idea, though, is that anybody doesn't have a metaphorical approach to life seems uh, maybe harder on themselves than it's true. So like if, if, if you ever manage to deal with the phrase, it's raining cats and dogs, if you've ever managed to, I mean, there's so that's many. That's a funny one, though. You know, it that's is a, a funny. One. It's a little bit old-fashioned, dare I say? Absolutely, and there, it's not the same as is, making a metaphor. It would be but, interesting to look at dead metaphors. So, dead metaphors are those that have become so accepted and matter of fact that we no longer even understand them to be metaphors. They're mm-hmm. just incorporated into the language. And um, boy, if I had planned ahead, I would have an example right now. Can you think of a dead metaphor? Or are you just thinking about the dead Kennedys? <laughs> I don't... Ha- you just caught me off guard. I know. Here we go. I'm just going to look them up because that's the world. But just to say that, that we are Well, you filled. light up my life. Um, these are not dead metaphors. But think about this. So think about Shakespeare's sonnets, right? These are not dead metaphors. Yes. And so he definitely uses metaphor and simile. And it's sort of... My love is like a red, red rose. And that's simile. Okay, here's a good dead metaphor. Mm. Time is running out. What does that actually refer to? A winding clock? Or an hourglass. Oh. Right? Yeah. Running out. So if you, as soon as you think of an hourglass, oh, time is running out. It's, it's actually, it's got this literal... I was thinking about running. Like Fitbit? I was thinking about <laughs> a rabbit. Like a white rabbit mm-hmm, with a pocket. Who's mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I'm late, I'm late for a very important date. <laughs> right, time is right. right. Well, wouldn't that be hilarious if that was the original origin? But but I love that, right? So a dead metaphor, we don't think of it. We don't actually even conjure really the image yeah, of like running. where did cats and dogs come from? Yeah. But the main point, first of all, let's let's break some things down. Okay. Because I think that when when we talk about this idea about metaphor, there it occurs to me that especially when we're talking about writing, the the questioner could be asking a few different things. So one, there's metaphor and simile and then symbols, right? So thinking about what are the, what, what's underneath the question, right? So I don't think they're asking questions about language. I think they're asking about the system of the work and how metaphor works in a larger system to deepen your reader's experience. But okay. you, I don't know, what do you think? You read the email. Well, I read it aloud to you, so I think you're, we're on the same page there. Um, so I think, so one of the things I talk about a lot that I think that this is partly in response to is um, the idea that setting mm-hmm. and um, 
you know, place, there's descriptions of place and setting and action and all of those things um, hold meaning and emotion so that they become sort of metaphoric. Um, mm-hmm. Although I don't know if I would say it exactly that way. And, and then of course, you know, there's just looking at, at metaphor and uh, a lot of strong writing does contain metaphor. I don't always think of that. I don't always think a lot of strong writing well, contains metaphor, but then it does. <laughs> because I think metaphor can be done badly. Absolutely. And There's very of, little in the world of creativity that can't be done badly. Right. Um, so I guess the question, though, for, for me to organize my thoughts. Yes. The question really is, how? what is this person asking? Is this person asking about using metaphor on a sentence level? Because there are times mm-hmm. when we use metaphor, and we don't necessarily carry we'll it all the way through or simile or whatever. And we don't carry it all the way through. We, it's, it has its place and its time and it's done. Mm-hmm. There are uh, symbolic metaphors like in you know, a lake in a novel. Like what mm-hmm. does that lake represent for mm-hmm. a family saga over multiple generations and their life around this lake? What is right. that lake? Right. What are the swimming pools, right, in... Um, Oh, the Carver. No, the Cheever. Cheever, Cheever. yeah. Mm -hmm. Right? That story that will be in the show notes. What is that story? Where he goes from swimming pool to swimming pool in the backyard. Yeah. It'll be in the show notes. And, um, you know, what do the swimming pools represent? What what does the yellow brick road represent in The Wizard of Oz, right? So there are these ways in which you can use metaphor on a symbol level that isn't about the sentence level. So right. that's my question about what your questioner is asking. I think he's asking more about the, the sentence and scene level, the ways in which you, in order to illuminate a particular moment, might draw, might create a metaphor. Okay. Um, I could be wrong, but I think that's, you know, that, 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 so, you know, in craft class, we'll look at an example and there will be metaphors in mm-hmm. the example. And so, um, and I can probably even pull up like an example of a metaphor in an example, but I'm not that quickly. So, um, <laughs> but so, okay. So the question is, you know, what, what, what is there to sort of say about metaphor? Um, and then I had a question for you, mm-hmm. which was what is metaphor in film? Okay. So that, I don't know if you want to. Jump into well, I given the form, and I could be totally wrong mm. about this, but I feel like having never thought about this before mm. this moment, <laughs> that in film metaphor is going to take more of that structural symbolic mm-hmm. position because mm-hmm. uh, there aren't sentences that you're reading. Um, but there could be like it could also be the sort of subtextual level where, let's say. Um, you know, somebody breaks a glass. Like there's that, that kind of cliched moment where somebody's like super angry and then they like crack the glass, right? And the glass is a metaphor for, you know, Their the, someone's head or whatever, right? Right. Well, see, that's why I'm saying really glad we're not planning for me to prep for this conversation. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, you could argue that. Um, I think you're bringing up the idea of subtext and how does subtext and metaphor interact because in order for a metaphor to be powerful it has to relate back to the subtext to the underlying meaning of what's happening in the environment so you could have someone you know like again going back to Shakespeare and and this is actually simile but like when he's saying like what is it um 
my lover's... Oh, my love's eyes are nothing, nothing like the like sun. The sun. Yeah. So my miss, my mistress' eyes are, are nothing, nothing like, like the sun. sun. And we're like, so we're you, several beats behind ourselves. We really at are best this episode. <laughs> and anyway, so the point being there that like people were sitting in a hot garage in the middle of a pandemic. So we really are gentle sitting in a with very us. warm garage. That is not a metaphor. But the idea here is that what Shakespeare is doing is taking this image that is. And that's, of course, the holding that makes... dying metaphor. He's taking a dying metaphor. My mistress's eyes are like the sun, right? Right. Except he's doing this other thing because he's actually saying something more valuable. But what he's doing is saying like, okay, all the things that we've said are valuable and good uh, and beautiful. My love is nothing like, right? I mean, she's all these not so wonderful things. But at the end, of course, his final turn is really about how much he loves her and like how yes. wonderful she is in his kind of perspective. But if he had picked metaphors that had nothing to do with beauty and young love and all the things that we we associate with like oh, limpid pools or... Um, rose or something. Yeah, or rose something cheeks yes. and, you know, she's got wiry hair. It's not <laughs> this, like, you know, it's it's all of these things, but they're specific, right? So he's even though he's doing the inverse of what we're actually sort of saying, mm-hmm. he's playing with a metaphor that existed, but at the same time, if he had picked metaphors that had nothing to do with what he was talking about, um, and you'll see people do this in paragraphs sometimes, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, his, he, he, came, he stomped into the room like two sledgehammers, and he whispered you- lightly like a bird, and you're just like, Wah, pick something. I'll tell you what Stay else, Stay in your lane. What you're still doing that, that I see people breaking apart even this, which is like, so you just said, you know, he stomped into the room like an elephant or something, right? right? But I see people being like, you know, he strolled into the room like an elephant or something where the verb doesn't <laughs> actually continue the metaphor, right? Yeah. Um, and so that's actually one thing I think is great to look for. We're kind of hopping all over the place, but maybe we'll do one of those consolidating at the end things. Maybe but I not. think um, I think that carrying the metaphor at least as far as the verb of the <laughs> sentence is actually just a great like edit. You know, once if you've if you've sort of found yourself right. in the thrall of an enthrall to a metaphor. Right. So the, the other, yeah, I just, so you often hear about people mixing their metaphors. That's what I was describing, right? It's just staying right, with right. that. You're talking about the, that when you think about this and you can think about like onomatopoeia as well, like what are the words that you're choosing to create this metaphor? How do you support it in the rest of your sentence? And sometimes, so let's say you've moved from like he strolled into the room and you've like, okay, I want to, I want that to be more vivid, like an elephant. Then you can be like, well, okay, he stomped into the room like an elephant. And then you can cut like an elephant. He can just stomp into the room and then the metaphor is in the verb enough for what, for what you were hoping for. Or... His elephantine stomp, or his, or just like, you know, he clamored through the door, an elephant enraged right. with pain, right? That's a metaphor versus simile. Right. Um, so there's definitely things that you can do. And again, metaphor, again, you're bringing up this other piece. I think there's, there's the holistic metaphor piece, there's the sentence level piece. And in that same vein, you won't necessarily come up with the best metaphor the first time you write. 
And so it is a great opportunity to go back and be super intentional. Even in sentences you hadn't put a metaphor into, how can a metaphor deepen your reader's understanding and really put them in a sensate experience of what you're saying? The other thing to move from sentence and scene all the way up to the level of story is that a lot of what you know, we teach in terms of structure kind of sets up every story to be in, in its way metaphorical, right? That mm-hmm. it shows us how people can grow. It shows us, you know, what matters in the world where, you know, the mm-hmm. Lindsay Dorn, whom we have to refer to every single podcast somehow, but you know, her rules, right? But like, so it, it, it sort of instructs us about how the world works through the specifics of a particular set of characters in a particular mm-hmm. circumstance and then resonates larger. And that's sort of what metaphor's whole job is, you know, on a sentence level as and, well. Yeah. And I think to extend it, like, like talking about metaphor in this very broad way, I think the reason we're hopping around is there's just so many ways that metaphor can manifest. So when we do character introductions, how is your character being introduced? How can a metaphor in the description of your character give way more information than just you had like a crumpled blazer and white socks, right? Mm-hmm. Having him enter in a different way or having her well, actually well, crumpled be... Crumpled is such a, a suggestive, wonderful like adjective or verb. And so then, you know, for, for me, like the initial, like the initial, mm. okay, think about for you, you think, let's each think about this. It. Like with the word crumpled, what is the first kind of image that pops to your mind? I actually think of a wad of paper thrown away. And I thought of leaves, but then second, mm. I thought of laundry. Interesting. How, any others, any other things crumpled? No. Could be a face though. Like skin. Well, I was thinking. But then we're moving a little metaphorically. Yeah. No, I just literally thought of a, a, a wad of, when yeah. you crumple up an effort and yeah. throw it away. Yeah. Right. And so like that versus laundry versus whatever else I said <laughs> in the pandemic garage. <laughs> right. They, they take us in different directions. Mm-hmm. And they're, the one that's going to be appropriate to the moment is going to depend on what, like how it matches the emotion and mood of the moment. Right, and then it plugs right into point of view. So if you have a character who is the kind of person who would come up with a metaphor, for whatever reason, when she saw him, she couldn't help imagining all of those college essays that never made it to their professor's hands, right? Yeah. So no, it's suddenly, the metaphor yeah. is built from the character's experience. Someone's not going to go to a particular image unless that image is meaningful to them. Right. And so we're learning, always, always learning character. Is this helpful? <laughs> <laughs> well, so the, the author of the email had requested something to read. And on, honestly, yeah. you know, if you're looking for a breakdown of what is a metaphor and how does it function, there's a lot of stuff that you can look up. I don't actually I have... Bet, like Janet Burroway's book um, writing on writing fiction is... Yeah. is pop, I, like that would be my... Like that would be where I would go if I were going to walk into the next room and start digging. Mm-hmm. Um, I would... I would I'm, I know she has one. I know she has a whole chapter on that. And anything about poetry, frankly, poetry is going to take you really deeply into thinking about language on that level. So again, it's what is it that you're... 
yeah. doing. But again, it's a tool. And right? he didn't ask for examples, but actually reading poetry is incredibly powerful mm-hmm. for not only sort of explicit similes, but also for the ways that something can resonate mm-hmm. you know, more deeply. Um, right. Then, then, you know, yeah, so that's, um, but yeah, what else? In terms of craft books, yeah, so Janet Burroway's writing fiction or whatever, I'll, I'll put that in the... Um, we'll do a le- little research and we can put some more in the show notes. I yeah. think the, the main thing is, I think that, you know, again, it's because it's a tool, there's going to be in a time and a place for the application. So you might say to yourself, what am I trying to achieve? Mm-hmm. And... How can I, so, and does metaphor help me achieve that? So, so like, like literally when you're learning to code, one of the first things you do is just think, what do I want? What is the thing that I'm developing? Mm -hmm. And you kind of sketch it out and you think about it a little bit ahead of time. So with metaphor, you might say. With metaphor, like coding. (laughs) Yes. Like coding. That's a simile. Um, what you're doing is you're thinking about like, okay, what is the outcome I want? Mm-hmm. And then is metaphor actually the best tool for that? And sometimes it's, it's, it's a very potent tool, but if you use it badly, it's like putting too much salt into a soup, right? <laughs> Another simile. Right. So, yeah. but if you use it well and precisely, it's a scalpel. Wow, scalpel versus salt. That's a mixed right? metaphor. How mixed is that? How, Not very effective, is salt it? Salt into soup. Salt does it, right? Because you can do salt poorly or badly. You don't really need an... an right, but th- what do we have? We have we have too much salt, but when you're going to conjure an experience, but what I mean, is just, like the just the right just, amount? So sometimes salt brings out all no, the No, we flavors. have that experience, but what's the language for it? Oh, for the right amount of salt? Mm-hmm. I will say it just reminds me of King Lear because, you know... Um, Cordelia says, yes. um, you know, I love you as much as meat loves salt, and he throws her out. But in fact, you know, she's saying something very important with, yes. about preservation of meat. But, um, okay, uh, what is the word, what is the term for just the right amount of there salt? There isn't one, because of course it's different for everybody. Perfectly. It's, yeah, it's so interesting. I bet there is, though. I bet there's a word All right, for the we're way that have the to go salt brings that out the flavor. I wanted to give a couple quick examples. Um, one is from Rebecca by Daphne du Maurier. He looked down at me without recognition, and I realized with a little stab of anxiety that he must have forgotten all about me. Mm. So that's, you know, that's just part of a sentence. But in any case, I don't, you know. That and it, stab of anxiety. A little stab of anxiety, right? Um, so, and then, um, this is a simile from trust exercise by Susan Choi. Um, (laughs) more than a decade of dedicated self-abuse had ruined his looks. And when he was tired or drunk, his face looked like a ball of molding clay that had been thrown against a wall. (laughs) Oh, geez. (laughs) So there you go. That's, Mm. that's a, it's like a, it's a brutal simile, isn't it? I mean, it it's is. It's a brutal, you feel like he's almost getting thrown against the wall in mm-hmm. that description. So, um, all right, well, this well, is just to say, start. Just to say, like process-wise, like everything else, put your first layer down, right? And then you come back and you shape and you shade and you do those things when you have a better sense of what the material is. And so some 
some kinds of writing are not going to actually do well with too many metaphors. Yeah. And other will, it, it is like salt actually quite a bit because <laughs> if it's, if you have too many metaphors, you lose your reader, you get accused of flowery writing. Uh, if you have just a pinch, then you, you engage the creative co-creation part of your readership relationship. Well, and part of what salt does when it's used well mm-hmm. is it brings out the full flavors of the dish, right? As opposed to tasting like salt. Right. And so I think what you want is you don't want the metaphor to overwhelm the meaning. You want the metaphor to pull out the rich meaning of the story. Exactly. Fantastic. Well, it is time for... Steal this. Amateur poets borrow. Well, professional poets steal. What have you come across in your wanderings and your readings, in your wide explorations of your internal my world? Amblings, my amblings <laughs> yes, about your, the your neighborhood. amblings around and around the block with perhaps your dog uh, that you would like to take and make your own. Well, um, actually, as I was walking the dog the other day, I was listening to Neil Gaiman's Make Good Art. Nice. And it was read by him so that he's always, he's such a pleasant reader to listen to. And it was, I think, initially a speech, right? Yes. A graduation mm-hmm. speech. So play it for your graduate. <laughs> and he has this one section, and we've talked about this before, but I, I just sort of love it because we are in this place where it might be hard to imagine what comes next. But he has this moment where he says, you know, Everything that we're doing here right now, the fact that we're meeting in London and not getting rained on, started as some part of someone's imagination. The chair was something where someone was tired and they decided there was a tool that was needed for sitting down. And walls and buildings and technology that has become invisible to us. Every single thing we enter... Vaccines. Vaccines. Every single thing that we interact with was an idea. It was a creative idea before it became something real. Mm. And so the thing I want to take right now is, you know, I'm sometimes struggling with the idea of what does it look like in that future? And maybe what I get to do right now is look into that future and think about, you know, what part of me is tired? What do I get to make in the world to, well, like he's, he talked about chairs or talked about walls, right? <laughs> these structures, these things. What that, support do you need that you can invent? What support do I need? Yeah. I mean, that's a little bland. But uh, <laughs> thank you. Bland is another metaphor. <laughs> kind of not a salty. Dead metaphor. Not salty. Um, <laughs> But I guess what I'm trying to say is like it's okay to lean into the things that are bothering us right now because those are the things that we are going to wish were different and that we can imagine a remedy into being. Like we're not really in a need of um, – we're in a need of humans. We're in a need of contact. We're in a need of connecting. We're not in a need of more screen time. <laughs> and so – how do we bridge that in a way that's going to continue to be meaningful in a, in a future iteration? Nice. Well, I, as you know, I've become like a big fan of Curtis Sittenfeld. And in fact, I've, I thought I'd read all her books, although two things happened. One is 
Um, I guess I went to her website and realized there was a book of hers I hadn't read. And then number two, they announced uh, she has a book coming out next this month, a new book coming out called Rodham mm-hmm. about Hillary if she hadn't married Bill. Oh, well, we already know. <laughs> <laughs> My dad had a joke about this. Like, yes. Right in the 80s, it was like uh, they stop in wherever she grew up. 90s. Well. Oh, because he was in Arkansas? Um, well, it was while he was president. When was he president? 90s. Oh, okay. Then. Um, but he would say, so they, where did she grow up, though? Do you remember? Ohio? Wherever it was. So they're driving through her home state, and they stopped to get gas, and the guy who's pumping the gas is her high school boyfriend. And, uh, and, and as they're driving off, Bill says, uh, isn't it funny? Like, if, if you'd married him, you'd be here, living here in Ohio, like, working at this gas station. And she says, no, if I'd married him, he'd be president. <laughs> <laughs> so that was my dad's joke. Now it's Curtis Sittenfeld's book. <laughs> Except not. It's, but anyway, so Rodham. Kind of fun. Excellent. Yeah. She also has a book that is is sort of Laura Bush, right? It's imagine it's so it's not the character's not named Laura Bush. Um, it's not an alternative reality exactly. Her name is Lauren Rose. <laughs> but she is she does marry a kind of uh, alcoholic, dried, dried, you know, religiously dried up eventually uh, alcoholic. That's not the term, but you know, uh, doofus guy who becomes president. Um but they that have sounds one. awesome. Anyway, is she? She's just really like such an engaging writer. Absolutely. The point is, I had actually read her first her debut prep a long time ago, and I because I've been sort of such a fan of hers, and she's very easy to read, but also not sort of fluffy. Anyway, I listened to it. It's very long, and I listened to prep, and. Um, so one of the things she did really well was like establish this character with a limiting belief that kind of drove me up the wall. But I just, mm-hmm. but I also liked her. So she had, she was both likable Lee. and limited. Lee, yes, you're kind of dipping into this now and then since it popped into your phone too. Um, and uh, so great example of limiting belief. What's interesting, having finished it, is she definitely, definitely grows. And, and learns, but because the narrator who, who doesn't sort of dominate the, there is a later narrator though, who will pop in and say, you know, um, this is sort of how my future was, or this is how, you know, I would go on to date other boys and do these things. Yeah. And, yeah. Or when I would wonder about what went wrong, you're like, Oh, we didn't even know they'd hooked up yet. And now she's let us know that something's going to go wrong with between them later. And, you know, so she does these really, I'm not there yet. Is it about cross? I won't say, because that would be a spoiler alert, not only for you in our pandemic garage, but for our listeners. Right, but how old's the book? Well, okay, but you, you haven't read it yet. There's always spoilers, maybe. Spoil me. Maybe. Why do you want to know? Because you have a reader's question. What do people do do when they have that kind of question? If they're in a workshop, they go, I think this is a problem because I didn't know (laughs) when you said this who it was going to be. But if they aren't in a workshop, they keep reading. Yes, it's true. Unless they lose consciousness in the world's (laughs) hottest pandemic garage. (laughs) The point is, uh, what do I want to take from her? What do I want to steal from Curtis Sittenfeld? You want to be her best friend. (laughs) Well, what I want to say is, so one of the the thing that was interesting to me about it is it 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 didn't have this arc where she like completely busts through her limiting belief and becomes this like 
a different person who couldn't possibly have done something. I mean, I mean, she does. She, I guess she does, but mm-hmm. it's just nuanced and subtle. It's not even that nuanced and that subtle, but, <laughs> but, but it's, wow. Okay. So it's, it takes a while. It's not obvious and in your face. It kind mm-hmm. of is like, and, and, and she didn't necessarily kind of go out there to like bust through her own limitations. She kind of, it was like partly in conversation with her limitations that she ends up treading into this territory that ends up busting out of her limitations. I hope you read slash listen to it and we can discuss it. But um, anyway, so just, just, you know, complexity, nuance, likability, limitations, like that's, that stuff. So you just want to steal that? All of it. Okay. Yeah. Thank you, Curtis Sittenfeld. I'm looking forward to Rodham. <laughs> <laughs> 